what does the freedom of Christ look like? That word, freedom. A word that we hear all the time, but do we really understand what it means? Do we really understand what it means to live into the freedom of Christ instead of just listening to the messages that we hear from our screens? As followers of Christ, it's easy to hide behind this social media image of faith. What people see on the outside is gorgeous and put together, but on the flip side, each part of our life consumes us and makes that ease too much to attain. This perfection in our lives controls us and keeps us bound in chains while the monotonous routine of this world pins us down and makes it too hard to break away. Our brains are muddled with these worldly solutions, but we need to remember that the only solution that can bring real restoration is when we begin to understand our emancipation. When we realize that this freedom comes from Christ alone, our chains will begin to fall. As we dive into the meaning of this idea of freedom, make sure to remember that it's okay to leave these shackles behind and dance in the overwhelming freedom of Christ. Good morning. My name is Chase. I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills. It's really an honor to be with you today as we continue our series called Set Free to Live Free, coming off of our anxiety series, um, which our church needed. Our, our, our church needed because of the culture that we live in. We are actually 40% more anxious at this time than we were at this point last year. And, and so this idea of being set free is really refreshing. I don't know about you, but I love this idea of being set free, this idea of freedom that for some of you, you need to be free from some emotions. Maybe you need to be freed from past failures. Maybe you just need to be freed from yourself sometimes. And that's really hard because, because sometimes we beat ourselves up. Sometimes we think about ourselves the way that God does not think about us. And we need to see ourselves as God, the way that God thinks about us. This, is, this title alone is a breath of fresh air. This idea of being set free. And Pastor T kind of opened us up last week. And he did a great job introducing the series. If you weren't here last, here last week, I want to just give you a few, point, a few tips about the book of Galatians. It's 149 verses long. It's a very short book of the Bible, but it's one of the most significant books ever written in the history of the world. You see, our church is part of something called Protestantism. Okay, Protestantism is the correction of things that were added to the simplicity and work of the person of Jesus Christ. It's really getting back to the true teachings of, of Jesus. It was a correction of things. And there were two books that were instrumental in the Reformation, in the Protestant Reformation, you know, with Martin Luther. Martin Luther really latched on the two books. And it was the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. Romans and Galatians. The book of Romans is what the gospel is. The book of Galatians is what the gospel is not. If you're looking at it like playbook, Romans is an offensive playbook, and Galatians is the defensive playbook. Roman is, Romans is pushing the gospel forward, and Galatians is a defense against all other counterfeit gospels that may be out there. And so as a church, we're like, okay, that's exactly our hope throughout this series, that we wouldn't focus on the counterfeits that we would focus on the real deal. What's the real gospel of Jesus that he came to this earth to save, save us? What's the real deal? And, and so we're looking at the, this letter that was written to the early church in Galatia. Galatia is actually modern day Turkey, if you didn't know that. So, so here's what happened. Paul became a Christ follower 
gave his life to Jesus and began to travel through different regions in the ancient Roman world. In Galatian, that, that modern-day Turkey, he traveled in that region. And what he would do, he would go into these towns, he would share the gospel, and people would believe, and he would raise up leaders in the church, and those guys would take over the church, and he would move to the next town over. And he would do the same thing. Here's the problem. There were people that were coming in behind him called Judaizers. Now, Judaizers were Jewish Christians that claimed to be under the authority of the church in Jerusalem. They were coming in after Paul, and they were teaching a different gospel. Here's what they were teaching. They were teaching it, Jesus is not enough. It's Jesus plus the Mosaic law. You, you see, you have to adhere to these Mosaic laws found in the Old Testament in order to be a Christian. That's what it was about. Judaizers would say it's Jesus plus law equals salvation. And in order for a Gentile to be saved, really they expected them to be Jewish. They expected them to be Jewish. And there were a lot of people, these people that were looking at the Old Testament law and covenant. They were living in the Old Testament law and covenant. And they were trying to bring that Old Testament law to a New Testament people. And here's what the Old Testament law and covenant would say. They would require a list of laws, a priest, and a sacrifice in order to be made right with God. And that process would be repeated over and over and over again. And it was for a specific group of people called the Jewish people, the Israelites. God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And Jesus said something profound whenever he came to this earth. I don't know if you remember this. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. That word fulfill means to be made complete. And whenever you complete something, what do you do? You start something brand new. And Jesus came to start something brand new in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. And the New Covenant would say it requires a sacrifice through trust and faith in Jesus. And it's through faith in Him alone. And it was for people, all people, everywhere. That's good news for you and I. That's good news for you and I, that we are living in a New Testament covenant. You see, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But the moment we add something to the, pers uh, the person and work of Jesus Christ, we negate what the gospel is. We negate what it is completely. And for some of you, maybe you grew up like this. That, that somehow you have to earn your salvation. Maybe you're part of churches or, or people groups that said, no, you have to work your way to earn favor with God. And the reality is Jesus came to wipe all those things away. And he said, no, it's me and me alone. See, Paul was frustrated with the early church. That's why he wrote Galatians, because they were believing these Judaizers. He was like, oh my goodness, what are they doing? So he was frustrated, and that's why he wrote. See, Paul was a living example of life change. That's why he's so passionate about writing this letter, because he knows the Judaizers' way of life. He knows that the living by the Old Testament law does not change a life. It does not change the person. Paul was a person before his belief in Jesus who was trying hard to fight for an old way of life, old traditions, old values, and now he's living free of those things. You see, Jesus redeems our past, and he gives us a new story. He redeems our past and gives us a new story. He not only saves us, he gives us purpose. And I'm looking out at you guys, and I can identify some of you in your life, and, and, and that you are a living example of what a changed life looks like. That you have redeemed, been redeemed and rescued through Jesus.
Now, now here's where we're going today. Because, because yes, Jesus frees us. Jesus changes the way we live, but he also changes the way we love. Last week we said that Jesus alone sets us free, but, but Jesus also gives us the freedom to love. Will you pray with me? Father, God, my prayer today as we go through your word, as we read through your word, and we, we look at history, we look at context, God, that we would forever be changed by your word. Your word does not return void. Your word is living and active. And so, God, I, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts as we read and engage with your word. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. If you have your copy of Scripture or your mobile device, um, you can turn there. It's going to be on the screens as well. But here, here's the deal. Paul was super frustrated at the early church because the Judaizers were coming in, right? And he was, just, he was just so frustrated that they would believe. He was astonished that they would believe the gospel, a different gospel than the one he had preached. And, and he, he, he realized something. Wait, this may not only be going on in the churches that I've planted. It, it might be going on throughout the ancient Roman world. It might even be going on in Jerusalem. So I got to make sure that we are all on the same page. Mean, we, meaning believers, followers, the disciples, the early disciples. I need to make sure everybody's on the same page. So he makes a journey to Jerusalem to talk to the disciples. Verse 2, he said, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. And I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. In other words, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. So he, got, he gets in front of the disciples and he pretty much shares the gospel with them like they hadn't already heard it. Like, like they haven't already walked with Jesus for three years and saw his death, burial, and resurrection. Like, like they haven't. He just, he's just saying, look, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. And I imagine the disciples like, we get it, Paul. Calm down. Like we, we get it. We know where you're going. No, I don't think you do. Because there's false teachers coming, coming behind us and they're sharing a different gospel. They're, they're sprinkling in a little bit of this Old Testament law that Jesus came to break. And they're saying it's only for the Jews and not the Gentiles. We got to be sure we're all on the same page here. Do you understand? He's frustrated. We want leaders like this. We want leaders who know the vision, who know the mission, and they're going to repeat it. They're going to stick to the vision and mission. That's what made Paul an incredible leader for the early church. We know what he, we're going to get. He's saying, well, let's make sure we're all on the same page. Because here's the thing. He's called to the disciples. He said, I, I've found that some of the disciples are reverting back to the old way of living. The old law. And I've found that, that they are... They are pushing that law on the Gentiles. And it's not just Judaizers. It's people in this group. What? Let's read verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas is Peter, by the way. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. 
what in the world's going on? But I mean, he's, he is confronting the, the, the person that Jesus considered to be the rock of the church. What in the world is happening here? In verse 12, before, for before certain men came to James, Peter used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, when these Jewish leaders arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. What? Peter, why are you treating the Gentiles like this? Why are you choosing not to follow, not, not to show them love because, because of a certain group of people that showed up? Why are you reverting back? Now, let me explain something to you because I think we have to go back in the context of, of who Peter is and why this is so important. Because Peter didn't always have a desire to, to interact with Gentiles. Did you know that? It, it, you know, it wasn't, t- but it wasn't until 10 years after the resurrection where Peter shared the gospel with a Gentile. 10 years after the resurrection. Did you, did you know not one of the disciples, the early disciples, those 12 original disciples, shared the gospel with a Gentile until 10 years after the resurrection? You know when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations? Well, they just went and made disciples of the Jewish nation. And I'm thinking, well, why, why did this happen? Why did, they, why, did do, why did they do this? Because they were still hanging on to an Old Testament law which did not permit them to interact with other people outside of the Jewish, Jewish race. They were just content with sharing the gospel with the Jews. So what happened 10 years after the resurrection to change this? Well, Peter was in Joppa. It was a town, and he went to Tabitha's house, another follower of Jesus, and he was up on her rooftop, and he was like tired, he was hungry, and he fell into this hunger trance. I don't know what it was, but, but he had a, a vision. The Lord sent him a vision, and this is what the vision looked like. The sky opened up, something like a large sheet lowered, and on its four corner, and, uh, by its four corners, and on the sheet were all kinds of four-footed animals, reptiles, and birds. That's kind of confusing. Well, this is what the voice told him. It's going to be on the screen. I want you to get this. Get up, Peter. Kill these animals and eat them. Peter responded, I cannot do that, Lord. I've never eaten anything that is impure or unclean. Again, in Old Testament law, Leviticus chapter 11, were all these animals that that the Jewish people could not eat. And the voice responded to him and said this, don't say the things which God has made clean are impure. In other words, don't make unclean what I have made clean. Well, of course, Peter was puzzled by this because his whole childhood, his whole life was about eating certain types of animals and certain types of food. But he had a hard time letting go of this Old Testament law, this this Old Testament covenant. So he was puzzled. It's like, well, what do I do with this? And then all of a sudden, there were three men that came knocking at the door, and these were Gentile men. They said, we came from Cornelius, which was a a Roman official in the army. We came from Cornelius' house, and he told us to come to you and 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 invite you to our house. Because Cornelius heard that you were a follower of Jesus, and he wants to know more about Jesus. Will you come to our house? And Peter's like, this vision, I guess I should go. And so the next day, what does he do? He goes to he, he goes up. He goes up to Cornelius' house with these men. And whenever he approaches the house, what does he see? 
It's, it's crazy because Cornelius not only invited his family, he invited all of his relatives and his neighbors. The house was packed full of Gentiles. Now understand, Peter has never interacted with a Gentile to this level before, right? He's never stepped foot inside a Gentile home. So in his mind, he's thinking, well, am I going to catch cooties? What is going to happen if I step inside this home? I don't know. I really don't know. And so Peter steps into this home one foot after the other. Cornelius sees him, runs to him, bows before him, begins to worship. Peter's like, that's silly. Come on, get up. I'm only a man. Get up. And Peter... You would think his next statement would be some niceties. Like this is, I'm Peter. Hey guys, I'm a follower of Jesus. Thanks for inviting me to, it's not what he does. He gives the worst introduction that you could possibly give. And he says this, you understand how wrong it is for a Jewish man to associate or visit with anyone of another race. It's not good, Peter. Like you could have thought of something different. Like, we get it. You, you, you're not used to hanging out with us. I get it. And then he follows up with that statement with an even worse statement. And he says this. But God has shown me that I should no longer call anyone impure or unclean. In other words, yesterday, I thought you were dirty. <laughs> yesterday, I, I considered you guys to be impure and unclean. And then he goes on to say, now... Now I understand that God does not play favorites. Rather, whoever respects God and does what is right is acceptable to him in any nation. After this, Peter shared the gospel with the Gentiles, and those Gentiles believed, and the Holy Spirit came on, on them. And, and, and they were just, the, the disciples that were with Peter, uh, with Peter were amazed. God can even work in Gentiles' lives? Are, are you kidding me? So 10 years after the resurrection, Peter is finally understanding this idea of spreading the gospel to all nations, to loving all nations. So let me ask you a question as we fast forward to Galatians chapter 2. Why is Paul condemning Peter in this letter? Because Paul was reverting back to an old way of interacting with Gentiles. He was applying an old covenant to a new covenant. As soon as the Jewish leaders and people approached Peter, he acted like he didn't know any of the Gentiles. Why? Because Peter wasn't making them adhere to a Jewish law that he knows the Jewish people would, and he knew that Jewish people wouldn't like that. His interaction with them was again based on the law. Verse 14 in Galatians 2. When I saw, this is Paul speaking, when I saw that they were not acting in line, according uh, line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that the person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. How easy was it for Peter to mix and match covenants? How easy was it for him to revert back? Peter was allowing the law 
to dictate how he treated people. And these were exactly the chains that Jesus came to break. And by the way, whenever we read this text, we, we want to associate ourselves with Paul and Peter. Guess what? We're the Gentiles. We're not part of that chosen group of people in the Old Testament law. And whenever it came to the New Testament, Jesus broke those chains and, and opened up this covenant, this new covenant to everybody everywhere, including you and I. See, Jesus plus anything equals nothing, and Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If we add something to the simplicity of the work and person of Jesus, guess what? We lose sight of what God's love can do to a heart. You are not saved by your race. You are not saved by your church. You are not saved by your family. You're only saved by the grace and love of God through Jesus Christ. It's very clear. Verse 17. But if... In seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? But if I rebuild what I destroy, meaning the law, then I really would be a lawbreaker. You see, they were trying really hard to add the law that Jesus took away. And they were trying to get back, and they were trying to get back when Jesus was saying, I, I, I want you to, to look ahead. They were trying to, to go back when Jesus was saying, I want you to look ahead. But I think oftentimes we get in this, similar to the Judaizers really, and similar to the early disciples, that, that we want to add something to the gospel. Because we feel like in order for, people need to live in, certain, in a certain way because if they don't, they're going to abuse the gospel. Shouldn't salvation require something of us? Shouldn't we do something to earn? This seems so, too good to be true. And, and Paul spoke to this very issue in Romans chapter 6. He answered this question. Shall we sin more so that grace may abound? Have you ever asked that question? Like if we give too much grace, doesn't that give people the permission to do whatever they want? Does anybody ever ask that question? And Paul is saying, by no means. By no means. And we expect Paul here to say, look, I've given way too much grace right now. I need to sprinkle in a little bit of law. Right? We expect Paul to say, hey, we, let me maintain some spiritual equilibrium here. I've, got a, I've given you grace. Now let me give you law in order to balance things out. We fully expect Paul to do this. But what does he do? He leans into grace a bit more. He probes grace a bit, bit more, not less. You see, grace is the only power that can melt a heart. The only power that can melt a heart. The only power that would cause us to die to ourselves. That's why Paul wrote this. For if we've been united with him in his death like his, we will, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be, what? Slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Let me tell you something. When we realize that Jesus is the only one that can save and sanctify a life, love abounds. Meaning, we love him more. And we love others better. 
prejudice falls. We become slow to speak and quick to listen. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I get, I get frustrated at people if they're not living a certain way. I want to change them. I feel like I need to fix them. Now, now, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Have you felt like you needed to fix people before? Now, on the count of three, I want you to point at somebody you want to fix. <laughs> One, two, some of you are really going to point. <laughs> but I want to fix people. And l- let me just put us all at ease. Let me just take the pressure off of us all. Only the person and work of Jesus can fix anybody, can change a, a life. Our job, as, as if you call yourself a Christ follower in the room, our job is pretty simple. Our job is to simply love. Love who? Love all people. And if we're doing that really well, then the rest would follow. Sometimes I forget that whenever I'm sitting in traffic. Nashville traffic specifically. Columbia Avenue traffic specifically. For those who live in Spring Hill, I'm sorry. But, but I want to do that. Man, I, sometimes I, I forget. Sometimes, sometimes I, I forget that whenever, whenever my patience runs thin. Sometimes I forget that even before I post on social media. Sometimes I forget that when, when a person believes something different than I do. You know, sometimes I think we forget that even when we're interacting with one another in the church. John chapter 13, Jesus speaks to this issue. And Jesus said, there's one thing that will allow people from the outside to know that you are my disciples. So by your rituals, by your traditions, by the great event that you put on, the well-organized event that you put on. He said, no. There is one thing that will allow the outside world to know that you are my disciples. He said, by your love. By how you interact with one another. By how you love each other well, even within the church. People are sometimes confused at what happens inside the church because sometimes we're not good at loving one another really well. And that, that's just the truth. And Jesus said, if you really want people to know the living God, love each other well. People need to know what you're for and what unites you rather than what divides you. And whenever that happens, guess what happens? Those outside the church will understand what the love of Jesus looks like by our love. I love Jesus whenever he interacts with certain people groups, specifically the Pharisees. And there were one day, there was a Pharisee, the expert of the law. That's kind of what they are. And so they approached Jesus and, and the Pharisee asked what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of throws it back at him. Well, what do you think? What's written in the law? And he, he shares the Shema found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he said this, to love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he follows up by saying, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, well, that's correct. Good job, buddy. But let me ask you another question. Who is your neighbor? Because let's, let's be clear, he's talking to a Pharisee who is adhering to an Old Testament covenant, Old Testament law, which, guess what, prevented him from interacting with other nations. And so his neighbor was who? Another Jewish person. That's, that's all. It was another Jewish person, and, and Jesus knew that, so he told him a story. He said, one, one day a man was beaten, he was robbed and thro- cast to the side of the road. A priest happened to to walk up, he looks at the man, 
does not have compassion on him. And he passes on the other side of the road, didn't even touch him, barely even looked at him. And then a Levite, another religious guy, came up, looked at the guy. He had no compassion on him. He, again, went to the other side of the road, did nothing for this man. And a part of that also goes back to an Old Testament law that prevented a priest and a Levite because they, they thought he was dead or he was dying. Well, that, that goes against, like, it, it was considered unclean. And for a priest and Levite, they wouldn't have touched him because that was considered unclean. So they walked on the other side of the road. And, and then Jesus said, well, then there was a Samaritan. A Samaritan. <gasps> Did you know that the Jews considered a Samaritan to be a half-breed? Meaning it was a mix between a Gentile and a Jew. They didn't really like them. They didn't want to be around them. And Jesus inserted this guy into the story for a reason. A Samaritan came up and he saw the man, had compassion on him, bent down, bandaged his wounds, put him on the, his donkey and took him to the nearest inn, took him to the nearest hotel, paid for, his, paid for his stay for as many nights as it would take for him to get better, for him to heal. He told the story and he asked the expert, he said, well, which one of these man's men were, were being a neighbor? And reluctantly, the expert said, well, the, the man who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. See, Jesus knew that there was a divide between Jews and Gentiles. The fact that Jesus used a Samaritan in the story was significant. He was continuing to teach the Pharisees that they had placed in the law above love. Law above love. They truly thought that that God loved law more than, more than he loved people because they love law more than, more than they love people. You see, when we understand the love of Jesus, here's what happens. Love takes us beyond law. Love also drives us to a relationship. We know, and you and I both know, that, that the thing that changes a person are not a bunch of rules. The thing that changes a, a person is a relationship, is love. That's what we know to be true. And when we take, a deeper, take people deeper into the affections of God's love, this is where people are transformed. So I think we can learn a few things about Peter and his journey here. And let me just give you three quick points here. Here's the thing about God's love that Peter learned. Number one, sharing God's love takes us beyond our comfort and our traditions. It takes us beyond our comfort and our, and our traditions. The moment when your blood is boiling because of a disagreement, think love. The moment when policy takes precedent over people, think love. That moment when someone has wronged you, think love. The moment when prejudice begins to creep in, think love. Here's the, here's the reality. We can't muster up enough love to love someone really well. The only the love of God can do that. And when we are so, we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, guess what happens? We begin to love like he's loved. That's how we begin to treat other people. Number two is sharing God's love is risky. Oswald Chambers said this, if what we call love doesn't take us beyond ourselves, it's really not love. If we have the idea that love is characterized as cautious, wise, sensible, shrewd, and never taken to extreme, we have missed the true meaning of what love is. Love is risky. And also, love is limitless. It extends to all people everywhere. Not just our church. It extends beyond these four walls of our church. Let me 
I just want to share you an example of what this idea of love looks like with a testimony of a, of a girl that's been through our transitional living um, homes. And she talks to us about what love did to her and how she's going to use that love to pass on to other people. Let's watch this video. In my family, I saw just violence, alcohol, and uh, um, not good relationship with uh, my parents because uh, father beat my mom, me, and my brother, my sister. And then my brother started beat us. I, with my brother and sister, was separated. I uh, rest alone in the orphanage. I felt like I am truly alone in this world and nobody can understand me. If I had the one word to describe my life in orphanage, it would be hopeless. Start with nine grain, I have a sponsor. To have a sponsor, uh, it means like to be always to be in care. Now, now I really can say that I'm loved. And I, now I can really say that I'm not left behind like many, many children. And uh, I know that uh, my past um, helped me to, to come to Jesus. And uh, also I want to help another children who, who has the same situation, the same feelings, the same days, hard days in their lives. In the camp, there was a boy uh, Valentin and he wore his t-shirt for days uh, in the same t-shirt and um, that's make me thought that uh, he didn't have a good condition. I just remember when I was little I feel the same and I was uh, uh, dirty all the time and uh, sometimes I didn't have something to eat and I understand him because he is um, he's, uh, little and uh, now he wants more joy, more love. But I know that um, love is action. I have a dream to be a sponsor too, because um, I know that uh, God helped me the same uh, through my sponsor, through another people who helped me, who had an impact in my life. What would can describe my life now would be beloved. To be, I'm to be beloved. a good, good story. And I, I think about her life and what her life was before. And, 
And she's a direct result of love should take us beyond our, our comfort and traditions. That love is risky. That, that, that love is limitless. It extends to even people in Moldova. That I, I, I look at that story and I'm thinking, well, how does that play out for us today? How does it play out as I interact with my own family? How does it play out whenever I interact with my neighbors or whenever I interact with my coworkers? How does it play out in your school? Because my goodness, there's certainly people that disagree with us and there's certainly people that we can find in order to have an argument with, but, but when's the last time that someone is changed by an argument? Or someone is changed by a list of rules. No, it doesn't happen that way. And whenever Jesus, Jesus came to break this Old Testament law, he said the only thing that can change a heart of a person is through the grace and love of Jesus. That is it. It's like we may think that change takes place, but change only comes through Jesus, a heart change. Someone once told me man's approval can lead to the dismissal of God's people. I think about Peter. Meaning that if we're not careful, we can spend so much time trying to win the approval of certain groups of people, we miss the kingdom calling to love people really well. Let me make this statement because um, I made it last week to Nashville crew. and That when we, we don't sin or live in sin because we've, we're so focused on the cross of Jesus. We sin and live in sin because we've taken our eyes off of him. I think that statement can be applied to how we love others. If we start from the undeserved grace of Jesus and the, his love for, uh, that he's given to us, it frees us up from fixing people to loving people. From fixing people to loving people the way that he loved. Paul closes out this chapter two in this way. He says, for I've been crucified with Christ and I myself no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me that whenever I'm fixed on the, the cross, the author and perfecter of our faith, it really changes how I interact with people. And every day, I, that's what I want to remind myself of whenever I wake up in the morning. That's what I want to remind myself of, of the love of Jesus. How would me focus on his love change the way that I interact with people throughout the day? That's a challenge for us, church. It's a challenge. Let me pray for us. Father, God, it's only your love that can change a heart. And God, yes, Jesus, you've, you've set us free when we put our hope and our trust in you, but you also set us free to love other people really well. And only we can only do that through your love. So my prayer today, if anybody's in the room, that, that God, that, that, that hearts would stir, if they don't know who you are and they don't have a relationship with you, that they would finally say yes to you. That maybe somebody in the room has been trying to earn their approval, that you, your approval of them. But God, you change you change that. So it's not about what you earn. It's not about what you deserve. It's about what I've given. I've given you this free gift. Thank you, God. 
And God, I pray that this love changes how we interact with others as well. God, may we be challenged by it. Your love is reckless. Your love is radical. Sometimes we don't understand it. And that's okay. All we have to do is live in it. In Jesus' name, amen.
Chase, God's love does take us out of our comfort, doesn't it? That word is for all of us today. It's not just to check our church box that we've been here, but something to go and to do and to live out. If you'll pray with me, I'll pray for our offering. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the incredible gift of your son for eternal life. So Father, we come bringing our tithes and offerings to give back to you just a portion of everything that you have given to us. May we be found faithful stewards in that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've got some exciting things coming up. And so I'm actually going to work in reverse. I'm going to start with next Sunday, and then we're going to end up talking about this Sunday. Ready? Everybody with me? Okay, two things next week. One, wrapping station sign-ups open unbelievable. It's here. It's time. Black Friday is not too far away. If you are new to Rolling Hills, we take the opportunity as a church to go to the Cool Springs Galleria from Black Friday through December 23rd, and we provide free gift wrap for our community. And it is an amazing opportunity to be in the middle of the mall proclaiming the real reason of Christmas. So be on the lookout for that. It's a great thing to do. Grab friends, grab your community group, but be on the lookout for that. The other thing is, the time changes next week. Want, want. So we know how that goes, right? If you're like me, you're gonna Google three times on Saturday, does my phone automatically switch tonight or do I need to do it? Anybody else do that? Thank you, thank you, yes. So be sure to do that too. But tonight we have Candy Palooza. Yes, it is exciting. Candy Palooza is awesome, and I have some helpers here. Come on up, guys. Come on. We've got two football players. Are you heading down to the Titans game at noon? Yes. Oh, my goodness, and Iron Man is here. We are so safe this morning. This is awesome. Hey, guys, Candy Palooza's tonight at 5 o'clock, and it's to 6.30. Here's your homework. Whether you're coming or not, who do you know that needs a church? Who do you know that needs Jesus? 
text them this afternoon, say, hey, my church is doing this. We'd love to have you. It's a fun, free, safe place, and we're going to have a great time. You guys look fantastic. Thank you. Yes, please. Absolutely. All right, we're going to stand up. Ready? All right, we've got to leave like on a high note here, okay? So we're going to do what we know to do if you know me. So those that know it, do it nice and loud. Ready? God is good. All the time. All the time. Amen. Have a great week. Bye, everybody. Good job.